Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. If I'm not your pastor and you have another pastor, make sure their goal is to honor the Word of God by feeding you the Word of God. That's your litmus test, right? Like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to bash on any pastors or anything like that. Look, there's good ones and there's bad ones. We know that. There's ones who just care far too much about how they look in the social media realm than the lives of the sheep within their own congregation. Are you looking for a way to connect more deeply with your Christian community? Do you long for meaningful relationships that go beyond the surface level? Well, in today's message, Pastor James is going to talk about the importance of the local church. Investing in our local faith community is crucial for our spiritual growth and our well-being. Whether it's volunteering at a local church, participating in a small group or Bible study, or reaching out to a neighbor in need, we can show God's love and make a difference in our community. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. First Peter chapter 5, if you could turn there. We are closing out this book of suffering. Yay! Woo! Um, but the suffering doesn't end for us, so um, I'm sorry to tell you that. Uh, I know we're done with this book, and we will be. And, but I, I am going to give you some good strategy in how to deal with the complications of life, okay? Some good, good formula, as Chuck Swindoll will say, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Chuck uh, Swindoll in a second, but a formula of how to handle whatever, okay? You've been dealing with whatever this week? Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, you probably have been. Yeah, I'm going to give you a good formula by way of Chuck Swindoll of how to appropriately handle anything that this life will throw at you. We find that in this chapter. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 5. And now, or therefore, okay, that's our connecting verse into the previous chapter with Peter talking to, to the believers there and letting them know, like, you know, suffering's going to happen. You got to stay focused on the Lord. You got to keep running the race, so to speak. But then he, he addresses, like, ways not to live, ways to live, and all that good stuff. And if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, then keep doing what is right. Trust your lives to God who created you, for he will, he will never fail you. Therefore, this is where we've been. That's the bridge. Therefore, a word to you who are elders in the churches, right? So elders, elders are, they're, they're the leaders within the church. Um, the, the Christian church basically modeled their setup after the Jewish synagogues. There's also some Greek influence within, within that system as well. But elders, yeah, it can speak of age, but it's not always about age. So if you hear the term in church, Concerning elders, it doesn't always mean older guys, okay? It can and it should, but it's really speaking of maturity and wisdom, maturity and wisdom. So you can be on the younger side of that and have maturity and wisdom, and you are qualified to serve within the church, to be an elder, so to speak, okay? Uh, David Guzik said this about it. The, just, I just want to clarify some of this elder st- stuff. The idea of elder came into church life from Jewish culture. The word elder simply speaks of maturity and wisdom that an older person should have, 
should, making them qualified for leadership. In its application, it's more, it's more about wisdom and maturity than a specific age. He goes on to say, it was the practice of Paul and Barnabas to appoint elders, plural, in churches they had founded. That's found in Acts chapter 14. There was also the development of the office of pastor or shepherd, okay, who was essentially the teaching elder, found in 1 Timothy 5, who appointed and guided other elders and other leaders. 1 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 2, and Titus chapter 1. Paul wrote to these young men about like, hey, you're going to set up a church, you're going to run a church, then you know, you, gotta have, you, you need to have people around you who are qualified to lead. Okay? That's, that's wise. It should never and it can never be just one person. That's just insane. Okay? Anybody who thinks that they can handle the weight of running a church on their own, that person is either super conceited or arrogant or has no idea what they're walking into. Okay? So, but part of every team, there's, and I say this all the time, every team, we're going to see it, there's like a game today, some big game, I don't know what's going on, uh, <laughs> Super Bowl, something. Every team has to have a quarterback, somebody's got to call the plays, somebody's got to throw the ball. That's just how it is. That's what your pastor is, the quarterback, okay? Not more important than any other person on the team. Every team, is, every team member is essential within the thing. You got your offensive line, they're saving the quarterback and helping him make big bucks, okay? That's what they're doing. They don't get any credit, which is unfortunate for those guys. The running back, they don't get enough credit. Those guys are, I mean, they're just getting in car wrecks constantly throughout the entire game. But every team has to have a quarterback, and, and that's really what the, the, the pastor, the senior pastor should be. You know, that's, that's just how the setup is. But you have to have other people around you, and this is what... Peter is addressing to the churches, plural. He's not writing to one church. He's writing to multiple churches in the Turkey region. And he's saying, for you elders in the church. And there's, there's others who serve in, in this church as well. If you were to, to give them any technical labels and all that stuff, it'd be more of deacons and deaconesses and all that good stuff. We're all just one team trying to accomplish what God has for Calvary Galveston. That's it. That's it. We don't, have t- we don't have room for superstars. We don't have room for any of that nonsense, okay? Because the Lord's coming back soon, and there are souls to be saved. That's why we're here, okay? So Peter is addressing the elders because these guys are going through difficult times. And so he's going to call upon the elders. He says, now a word to you, you who are elders in the church. I, too, am an elder, not the pope, by the way, Okay? Any confusion? Peter's like, I'm just an elder. I'm just an elder. I'm one of you guys. I'm one of you guys. He could have said, I'm an apostle. He could have, he, that, he had that title. He could have dropped that, but he didn't. He says, I'm an elder. I'm just like you guys. An elder and a witness to, to the sufferings of Christ. I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal, I beseech you, I, I beg to, uh, or of you, to you, to what? To verse 2, to care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Okay, some little notes to pay attention to. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Okay, just so this is definitely for, for myself and for anybody else who's, who serves in an, an oversight kind of role. They're not your people. They're not your sheep. 
You guys that show up and you call Calvary Galveston your home, you are not my sheep. You belong to Jesus. He has asked me and commissioned me to feed you the word of God and to lead you and shepherd you as best as I possibly can. But you don't belong to me. You belong to him. You belong to him. And I don't care how big your church is. I don't care how small your church is. If people show up to your deal, it's because God hopefully has brought them there for you to steward, for you to manage in one sense, for you to tend to them. I love that Peter is writing this because if you remember from the Gospel of John, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus told him. And Peter is so cocky, so arrogant, right? He really was. And he told Jesus, like, Jesus, I want you to see these other 11 bozos, okay? None of them are as committed to you as I am. They will all leave you. They will all forsake you. But I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, is what Peter was trying to tell Jesus. And Jesus had the uh, come to Jesus moment for Peter, right? Like, he's like, Peter, um, I need to... I need to clue you in on something that's about to happen. Save you some embarrassment. Um, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to flat out reject that you even know me. You're going to go so far as to call down curses from heaven upon yourself, trying to distance yourself from me. Just a heads up, Peter. Just a heads up. You're such a great disciple. I love you. Fantastic. Take that foot out of your mouth, and when you are restored, he says he gives them this great commission, so to speak, of shepherding and feeding. And then they have this this meeting there in the, the region of Galilee, and Jesus says, go up to Galilee, wait for me there. They show up. Peter gets impatient. He's like, he's not showing up. So what are we going to do? Let's go back to our old, let's go back to what we know, fishing. That's what I know. So they get in the boat, they fish all night, don't catch anything. Some dude shows up on the shore, it's Jesus, says, hey, caught anything? They're like, no, thanks for asking, right? Yeah. He's like, well, how about you just try it another way? End up catching more fish than what they could haul in, so to speak. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore, because John said, it's Jesus. And Jesus has this heart-to-heart moment with Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Don't know if he's talking about fish or the other disciples. But he says, do you love me more than these? Three times he asks him, you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. That was his commission. And so here is Peter writing to these these servants, these leaders, these elders, these shepherds saying, hey, take it from me. Take it from me. Feed them. How do we handle crisis? How do we handle when our our, our worlds are falling apart? The word of God is how we handle it. Just keep giving them the word. Give them the word. That's what you need. I don't know if you know this, but what you need the most when you showed up on a Sunday morning is the word of God. That's what you, I hope that's what you came for, but that, that's what you're going to get. Like, that's, that's what we do, and that's what we need. And here's Peter, who has practically walked through this scenario, all the experience, saying, let me tell you, shepherd, something. 
You need to feed them. You need to tend to them. You need to care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. This is a direct reference. Let me flip over to Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to read you this, um, this, uh, this portion of scripture here. This is what you call a compare and contrast, okay? So Peter's like, he's like pulling from everything. He's pulling from his own life experience, right? But he also goes back into the Old Testament, and he remembers the Holy Spirit brings this to his, his remembrance, uh, his, his brain. I don't know how to talk anymore. Um, this thing in here, he brings it back to him of this contrast between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd, okay? Ezekiel 34, 1 through 4 says this, then this message came to me from the Lord, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the seek or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who are wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. And he goes on to say, like, and that's the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel to the leaders of Israel who were supposed to be shepherding the flock. They're like, you're just, you're so selfish. All you're doing is taking care of yourself. You're meeting your own needs. You're using the sheep to meet your own needs. That's selfish. And it's no wonder, if you continue reading that chapter, it's no wonder why the sheep have scattered. They're tired of getting abused. They're tired of being taken advantage of. And here, Peter, he, he you know, pulls from that, that long research from back then, that prophecy, and he's applying it to, this, to his time, saying, look, your shepherds take care of God's sheep. That's what you have to do. That's what your, that's what your pastors should do. That's what you, I, and, if, and if I'm your pastor, I appreciate that. I'm humbled by that. I'm going to do my best to feed you the word of God and to serve as an example to you, to shepherd you. If I'm not your pastor and you have another pastor, make sure their goal is to honor the word of God by feeding you the word of God. That's your litmus test, right? Like I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to bash on any pastors or anything like that. Look, there's good ones and there's bad ones. We know that. We know that. There's ones who just care far too much about how they look in the social media realm than the lives of the sheep within their own congregation. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. He goes on to say, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, right? You, you, you would hope, I hope, like your goal for me or your desire for me is that I show up kind of like wanting to be here, right? That makes a difference, I think, in the church you attend, Okay. Have you ever been to a church where it seems like, I don't think that guy wants to be here, right? I think we've all experienced that to a certain extent. Yeah, it's not fun. And I don't care what, what realm or what part of the body they function at, like that just permeates throughout the entire thing. You don't want to be here, then don't be here. I love that quote from Chuck Smith. It's like, there's a door, works both ways. Like, you want to come in, come in. You don't want to stay here, then go. It's not a big deal. 
Why? Because it's not my church anyways. It belongs to God. He says, do it out of like a cheerful heart, a willingness, like you want to be here. If you serve here, I hope that you want to serve here. That's again why we, we ask for volunteers and we're very cautious about where we put you because we don't want to put you with children. If, and some of you have expressed to me, like, I don't work with kids. We aren't going to put you there, okay? Because why? Because we don't want that attitude in there with the kids. You won't make it. Right? But if, like, kids bring you joy, well, then maybe you do need to be across the hall. Because I don't know if you've ever witnessed what's going on in our hallway, but like it feels, it's feeling a little tight in here recently. This is nothing compared to what's going on in that hallway. But here's the deal. We have two classrooms that are packed out. Packed out. There are four classrooms in that hallway. You want to know why two are empty? We don't have enough volunteers. That's why. But I don't want you in there if you're so grumpy. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you need to be in there if you're grumpy. Maybe that. Maybe you're the Grinch who needs your heart softened a little bit. I don't know. No, no, no. Let's stop. We won't make that. No. That's the reality of where we're at, though, guys. Like, we're talking about knocking down walls, but yet we still have two empty rooms. First step is we need more helpers because there's just too many kids. Too many kids. And that's the best problem to have. Like, we've been praying for that for years. And it's here. But if you're going to serve, do it out of just a joyful heart, a willingness to want to be a part of it. Like, that's, that's what you need. Burnout's a reality for everybody who serves. Okay? I don't care who you are. And I don't care if you serve once a month. You, burnout is a reality for every single one of us. But you got to go back to, like, well, why are you serving? Who's it for? Is it for him? Okay. Keep that in check. Keep that in check. Because I burn out really quickly when I'm so focused on myself. Okay? Do it willingly, not grudgingly. Now, he's talking to the elders, but this applies to, to the whole congregation there. It says, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Okay? So, yeah, and he's speaking to a, a, a select group of individuals. There was itinerant pastors that were cruising around back then, and they would show up and want to like preach only because for the paycheck, okay? And I don't know if it was a lucrative thing or not. I have no idea. But the only way that they would show up was if you cut them a check. And I think that's garbage. I think that's nonsense. Now, I know honorariums and some guys will come in, but we ask them, we invite them, and we will write them an honorarium saying, thank you so much for giving us a day to bring the word of God. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is individuals who are like, hey, I'll show up and I'll teach at your church, but here's the deal. You have to pay me this much money. If anybody ever says that to me, they aren't speaking here. No, I don't think so. We don't need you. Whatever you special message you have, you can keep it to yourself because we don't want to hear it. You've had experience? Uh, I mean, hearing some, it's a lot of talking going on. Um, now, touching a nerve, what's going on here? We need to have a counseling session. Bring up the prayer team. Uh, <laughs> wow. You guys have been in church for a while, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, okay. 
Let's move on. Not for what you get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people who are assigned to your care, okay? But lead them by your own good example, right? So he's speaking, he's speaking to the elders, but more specifically, he is speaking, I believe he's speaking to, to those who are, have this shepherding role. Now, I think all elders can shepherd to a certain degree, but I think primarily he is talking, to maybe, maybe more specifically to talking to the, the elder who is set as like the, the preaching, teaching elder, okay? The one who really fulfills that, that calling of shepherding. But he says, don't, don't lord it over them. Whatever authority you have, you, you cannot use that to manipulate people. You just can't. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable, right? So don't lord it over them. But that's contrary to their culture. Culture was saying, look, if you have a position of like, importance, then you are obligated to lord it over people. You should let them know, I'm the boss. What I say goes. Like That was customary back then. It's customary today, too. People love to carry around their titles, right? This is who I am. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. No, I'm the boss. No, you're not the boss. I mean, you might be the boss of your business and all that stuff. I, pastor is not my title that I drop. I, I'm a child of God. Pastor is what I get to do. It's my calling. It's not who I am. It's not my identity. My identity is a son of God, a child of his who's been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's my identity. That's who I am. So if I ever stop doing this, my life does not end. This is what I've been called to do. What's your identity? If you're going to drop any cards on people, let it be I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a son of the king. Start there and end there. Or maybe add on servant of all. Servant. You want my title? Servant. That's who I am. That's who we are. Don't lord it over the people you're assigned to care for, but lead them by your own good example. Pastors and elders should be setting good examples for the congregation. And when the great shepherd, there is the great shepherd, his name is Jesus. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Sweet. So you're like, well, does this only apply to the elders or the shepherds? This actually applies to everybody who is faithful to their call to Jesus, because this isn't the first time we see this promise. It's actually included in other letters written by Paul. So if you have been called by Jesus to do something, whatever that thing is, do it faithfully, and he will hook you up in the end. Okay? So whatever drama you're going through, I, I can promise you this one thing. It is absolutely worth it to remain faithful to Jesus. Because you may end up in one of those classrooms over there, and you're like, Lord, I can't take this anymore. He's like, I got a crown for you. Don't worry, right? Like, no, you, you can make it. You'll be okay. Crowns are for all who, who faithfully do what Jesus has called them to do. And just one little word on, on shepherds. I, I jotted down a few things. Uh, the role of a shepherd, protect, watch, to watch over, to guide, to heal, to search for, to love, to discipline. <gasps> I don't like that. Well, guess what? It's part of it, okay? And what? And to feed.
In the book of 1 Peter, you hear a lot about suffering. Our own suffering is something that we have to work through. And Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered too. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. A few verses later it says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What Peter's getting at in these verses is that as a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. But Jesus wasn't exempt from suffering either. In fact, he was treated worse than anyone, although he was without sin. Imagine being completely guiltless, faultless, sinless. It just seems so wrong for Jesus to have been falsely accused the way he was. May you find strength and courage in the fact that Jesus suffered at the hands of brutal and mean-spirited men. He knows what you're going through right now, and you can turn to Jesus for comfort and help. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken. If you'd like to hear additional messages like this one, go to breadforthebroken.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's teaching here in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be back next time with more as the Apostle Peter speaks some encouraging words that our souls will want to hear. So come back again next time to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.